Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Good evening, Rifters. This is Rifts and Rules, the 5e D&D podcast where we go through the many 5e books and talk about various rules to enhance your gameplay experience. I'm Nathan, the Dungeon Master of Riftwake. And I'm Remy, a player on Riftwake and a Dungeon Master myself. Today's topic is druids. Uh, insert woodsy breeze? Tweet, tweet. We, 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 Perfect. Nailed it. <laughs> Thank you, Nathan. <laughs> All right. Druids are a spellcasting class that has an enormous amount of versatility. Uh, before I do go into all the mechanical details, as I do so love to do, I do want to actually start with the lore of druids beforehand, which honestly is a side of these classes that I... I'm not as good at remembering to do. So druids are a, a full spellcasting class, meaning that they will eventually get to the full ninth level spells. However, the source of their magic is actually pretty interesting. Instead of it being directly from a deity like a cleric or paladin can be argued to have, or whether it is uh, arcane in nature in that it just is you know knowledge like a wizard or force of will or just the way that a sorcerer or warlock might shape it a druid gets their power from nature and whether that is a nature deity or just from nature itself druids get their power from them and it is actually also interesting in that a druid's magic is considered to be divine in nature uh Hmm. I didn't mean to use that phrasing is also just considered to be a divine type of magic. And the way that that just mechanically manifests is that instead of having, you know, X number of spells per level, the way that the spellcasters like a sorcerer or a bard might, a druid is more like a cleric in that they have the flexibility to change their spells every single day. 
uh, it actually works exactly the same the way that uh, clerics is in that they have the full druid list of spells and then every single day they can just spend time in prayer and meditation to change as many of their spells as they want to and they are able to have a number of spells of their druid level plus their wisdom modifier so again exactly the same as a cleric although with a very very different list of spells for the most part so druids have the reputation as being uh very good in combat with their various uh transformations into animals and the magic that they have is also quite good in combat however that cleric comparison is actually a lot closer than most give credit for in that druids also do have a lot of healing magic available to them even to the point where once they are at that ninth level spellcasting ability uh, so when they're at a character level of 17 rather then they do have access to true resurrection, which is only available to druids and clerics. So the best resurrection in the game is available to druids. Uh, out of curiosity, do you want to add any part to the lore discussion side? I wouldn't know at okay. all. Okay, never mind. <laughs> uh, also, one thing that is rather interesting about the lore of druids is that they do not wear metal armor. And that's a just kind of interesting holdover from way, way back in previous editions for druids. So that refusal to wear metal is also pretty interesting in that it is not a restriction mechanically. Like they can wear armor. They aren't struck by lightning magically if they should choose to do so. It is a taboo. For druids, it is unnatural to coat themselves in metal like that. So whether that is something that you choose to have as the taboo in your own world is something that any DM does have the power to just say, well, I want my druids to be able to have armor so they can. And that's that. On the other hand, you do also have the ability to make armor out of other materials, and that is a thing that I honestly don't see enough of that is really fucking cool. Imagine if instead of, you know, a druid not being able to wear a metal breastplate, for example, that they the party manages to slay a dragon and they're able to just use the enormous scale for one just one enormous scale to just kind of file and shape to just be you know, a chest and backplate for the druid. And that instead of counting it as scale armor, it's just one enormous organic piece of material used to make the armor. Or you could use like magically hardened bone or something like ironwood, which is a naturally occurring substance that is really fucking strong. And that plus magically treated, like you don't have to have metal only armor actually made out of metal. Like you can get creative with it. There are all kinds of materials that could be used by a druid that would allow them to still wear other types of armor. Uh, or hell, you could just have like a magical crystal type of armor, maybe like get creative with it. Just because a druid has the anti-metal restriction doesn't mean they just can't wear the armor type at all. So on the subject of armor also, 
uh, druids do gain proficiency uh, with light and medium armor and shields. Uh, shields also are normally considered to be restricted with the whole no metal thing. So one thing that you could do is to kind of have fun with it. Have like a turtle shell that has been magically reinforced to be their shield. Like just there are all kinds of just flat, hard things that a druid could choose to pick up. Have fun with it always for all things. But here with that. Anyway, uh, they also have uh, various types of weapons. Uh, they do actually start with proficiency with the er- uh, herbalism kit and intelligence and wisdom saving throws. And uh, they get to pick two skills from a list. Blah, 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 blah. Uh, they do start out knowing the druidic language, the secret language of druids. You can speak it and use it to leave hidden messages. Uh, you and others who know the language automatically spot such a message. Others spot the message's presence with a successful DC 15 perception check, but can't decipher it without magic. So you basically know a magical language that can only be deciphered with magic or by others who do know it. And that can be kind of interesting because languages are actually something that tends to get glossed over in a lot of D&D games. And having the druidic language or the thieves can't once we get to rogues is something that presents some interesting possibilities that, as I do say so very often, is a thing worth thinking about. All right. So the druid's most iconic ability is the fact that they can turn into a beast. So that is their wild shape. And they get that ability at second level very, very quickly in the game. And it is a very, very long description to it. So rather than just spend 10 minutes of this reading out the wild shape, I will sum up. As an action, you turn into a beast. You can do it twice between short or long rest. As you level up, you can turn into stronger beasts. When you first get the ability, you cannot have a creature with a fly speed or swim speed. Then that loosens as you level up. At fourth level, you can swim. At eighth level, you can fly. And you can stay in a beast shape for a number of hours equal to half your druid level rounded down. Now, there are a few caveats to the ability in terms of staying in beast shape that most people don't exactly know very well. First off, a druid's ability is not a spell that requires concentration. It is just a magical ability that they have. So because it doesn't require concentration, that does mean that let's say you've got a sixth level of druid so they can stay in beast shape for three hours at a time. You are able to rest while in beast form. So let's say you turn into a bear. You like being in bear form. You take a nap as a bear. You are rested. You have your uses of wild shape back. Now, another part of this too is that when you're in beast shape, you'd normally revert when the time runs out. However, you can stay in beast shape by just expending another use of the feature. So you, if you have a high level druid, you can actually just have them stay in beast form damn near permanently by just expending uses of it, taking a nap and just or just generally resting while in beast shape. 
So you could have someone who just really likes to be a cat. And so they'll just take a cat nap and just stay in that form for near indefinitely. So uh, that's just a fun little tangent. But going into the actual things that it does to you, your game statistics are replaced by that of the beast. But you retain your alignment, personality, and intelligence, wisdom, and charisma scores. Your skills and saving throws, you keep and gain the creatures. Uh, if there is a number where you both have proficiency, you use whichever number is better. Uh, you do not gain any legendary or layer actions, like what we talked about with the Beholder. Even if you had a beast that had legendary actions, a druid cannot use them because they are not that version of the creature. So there's actually a good amount to unpack just it, from that paragraph, actually. You keep your alignment personality and all of your mental ability scores, basically. So that would mean that you turn into a creature like a bear that has a really good strength, decent decks, really good con, but your intelligence, wisdom, and charisma scores. So it is truly the druid's mind in the shape of the beast's body. And that is a very powerful thing. So considering the fact that if there's a creature then that has, say, expertise in perception, if it's a creature that has, you know, a particularly good sense of eyes or smell or whatever, then with your wisdom score, that would get doubled by, or sorry, your proficiency bonus rather, would get doubled by the expertise that the creature has. So whichever proficiency is better gets used. Anyway. Now, the arguably more important part. When you transform, you assume the beast's hit points and hit dice. So if you transform into a beast that has 30 hit points, then instead of however many your druid would have, you are that creature with 30 hit points. And so if you take damage, the animal is harmed for that amount. It does not deduct the druid's hit points. Only if the beast is reduced to zero does any leftover actually harm the druid so if you've got a you know beast that had 30 and it's reduced down to 10 and then it takes another 15 damage then you would get knocked out of beast form and you would take that remaining five points of damage so out of 35 damage in that scenario the actual druid would only take five so a druid is arguably the other contender alongside barbarian and who can just suck up the most damage in hit points and honestly it, i would need to do a lot of math to really figure out which is truly better when you factor the barbarian's resistance compared to the druid's extra beast form hit points it yeah there's an argument to be made there anyway there is some rather significant downsides to being in a beast form which is that you're a beast. You can't talk. You can't cast spells. You can't do anything that your beast form can't manipulate. So if you like turn into an elephant, you, you can't hold anything because you don't have thumbs or really any fingers. Uh, Trunk. Yeah. Okay, fine. You can hold it. You made a bad choice. <sighs> fine. A rhino. You happy now? Yeah, sure. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, I would turn into a rhino. That would be fun. I like rhinos. Anyway, uh, on the other hand, while you cannot cast spells, you can maintain concentration on a spell that you cast in your humanoid form. 
which is very interesting considering there's a druid spell called call lightning which can call lightning down from the sky over and over again by using your action so the fact that you can maintain that concentration when you're still you know getting ready for combat you can just cast call lightning into the sky and because it can last for up to 10 minutes you cast the spell you transform into something tough like that bear and then you can just have a bear calling lightning down from the sky <laughs> a druid can be a lot of fun honestly uh one other important thing is that when you are talking about your stuff that you have in your human form you get to pick whether your stuff drops if it just merges into the animal form or if it's worn by it and what is interesting for that is that if you have equipment that the dm agrees would fit on the animal then it's possible you can have certain magic items that could still work with the beast form so one that would come to mind is something like a cloak of protection you know a cloak could still very easily be a cape for a lot of animals so that would logically work for me and then you'd still be able to get the effects of that to get that little ac boost so when a druid is at level two that is where they pick their subclass so in this case referred to as their druid circle so as is normal for these i'm gonna skip the druid circles for the moment and then loop back when i go through the generic druid abilities so i already mentioned that the uh, ability to use your wild shape improves at fourth level and eighth level uh, after those ones at level 18 you get a feature called timeless body which causes any druid at that level to age at one tenth the normal rate so for every 10 years that pass the body only ages a single year also at level 18 so 18 is a big milestone level for druids they get an ability called beast spells I mentioned a moment ago that you cannot cast spells normally while you're using your wild shape. At level 18, that restriction goes away. You can cast any druid spell that only has somatic and verbal components. But if it has a material component, you cannot. Which, fair enough. I mean, elephant with its trunk aside, most animal forms would not be able to wield a wand or a staff or something to use a material component. Then at level 20, you become an arch druid. At 20th level, you can use your wild shape an unlimited number of times. Additionally, you can ignore the verbal and somatic components of your druid spells, as well as any material components that lack a cost and aren't consumed by a spell. You gain this benefit in both your normal shape and your beast shape from wild shape. That used the word shape a lot in that sentence. Anyway, this is a rather interesting capstone ability. So first off, normally I mentioned that you can only use your wild shape two times before you need to take a short or long rest. So having the ability to use it an unlimited number of times, that would mean that, okay, at that point, you can just turn into a creature. Its hit points force you back into your normal form. You just can do it again. Okay, that's another you know 50 hit points or so. Do it again, another 50 hit points or so. If you can make it all the way up to 20th level as a druid, I think they might 
win out over barbarians just in the sheer amount of damage that they can take before going down. And that's just that first part. That second part is severely underrated as well, potentially. So ignoring the verbal and somatic components, as well as the material that don't have a cost, that would mean that every single spell, whether in your humanoid or beast shape, you don't need to make a sound for, you don't need to wave your hands for, you don't need to do anything that would show that you are casting a spell. So you can be completely subtle in your magical casting. There is nothing that you are doing to indicate that you are casting magic. That also does mean that if you ignore the verbal and somatic components, if a druid is, let's say, tied up and gagged, that even though that would normally restrict a spellcaster from being able to say their spell or move their hands for the somatic component, a druid can be completely bound and still cast damn near all of their magic? Well, that is very interesting. All right, so that is the generic druid abilities. Now let's go back to the druid circles. Uh, there are five of them. The circle of dreams, the circle of spores, circle of the land, which to be fair also has a number of sub options in that one as well. Circle of the moon, and Circle of the Shepherd. So Circle of Dreams makes the kind of elf, fey, additional feel to the druid, which gives you more healing options. And it is actually quite a powerful one at that. So you get a pool of healing energy. So for every level you have, you have that number of D6s that you can spend to heal a creature within 120 feet. So having a resource that is separate from your usual spell slots and it has a range of 120 feet that is used as a bonus action is very, very good. So let's say you have a 10th level druid with this subclass that you would have 10 d6 that is not consumed, that it does not consume any spell slots. And so you could heal a good amount of damage to a creature. And also, each time you use this feature, uh, however many dice you spend on a heal, they also get some temporary hit points. So it is a temporary hit point per die spent. So if you heal someone for 5d6, then they would be healed and gain five temporary hit points. And uh, you get back your full pool when you take a long rest. Uh, they also get a kind of neat ability at 6th level to help guard the place where you're resting. So for as long as you're resting, whether it's short or long, you can basically just conjure up a magical sphere around you that gives a bonus to you and your allies, stealth and perception checks, hide the light from any campfire torches or the like inside the sphere. So just having that helping to just hide to make resting a little bit safer as soon as you're sixth level and be potentially quite valuable, especially if you're in a campaign where, you know, it's dangerous to camp out. Then, wow, wow, at 10th level, they get a teleport ability. So as a bonus action, they can teleport up to 60 feet to an unoccupied space as a bonus action, that is. And as your action, teleport a creature you 
touch that is willing up to 30 feet. And you can only do that a number of times equal to your wisdom modifier uh, before you need to take a long rest to refresh it. So that is another very interesting ability. So the fact that as a bonus action, you can teleport yourself up to 60 feet, which is double the distance of the second level spell Misty Step, or the fact that you can teleport a willing creature. So if you have a creature, uh, sorry, uh, ally rather, that is, you know, tied up in something where you can't get the lock for whatever reason, or just you don't have the time, or if, you know, the two of you are being chased, you could use your action to teleport your ally 30 feet away, and then they're free. And you could still use your bonus action to teleport yourself after doing that. So the fact that it is action for ally or bonus action for yourself is quite important because spells have a limit in that you can only cast one spell with a level each turn. So if you cast, let's say, Misty Step as a bonus action, you cannot cast an action spell like Dimension Door to try to teleport yourself. But a spell-like ability like this does not have that limitation. <sighs> Moving on, at level 14, they can travel mentally or physically through dreamlands. Uh, when you finish a short rest, without expending a spell slot or requiring material components, you can cast Dream, Scrying, or Teleportation Circle. Interesting. So Teleportation Circle normally will just teleport or open a portal, rather, to a permanent teleportation circle somewhere that you choose. But this use does not follow the normal rule in that it instead just opens a portal to the last location where you finished a long rest on your current plane of existence, which is very interesting, because that would mean then that when you finish a short rest, you could use this to teleport the party back to the town where you all spent the night. So having the ability to skip a return journey can be very useful if the party resources get depleted by the day. All right, next up, we've got the Circle of Spores. This is a rather interesting one. So I'm just going to read a quick uh, couple sentences for the description of it, because the lore of it I just find rather interesting. Druids of the Circle of Spores find beauty in decay. They see within mold and other fungi the ability to transform lifeless material into abundant, albeit somewhat strange, life. These druids believe that life and death are parts of a grand cycle, with one leading to the other and then back again. Death isn't the end of life, but instead a change of state that sees life shift into a new form. And I just think that that's a rather lovely description. So the idea that... Actually, sorry, I should tangent a bit because this is important uh, most druids are described as having a strong hatred of aberrations like beholders unfortunately uh, or a strong or and or a strong hatred of undead so druids of the circle of spores are the only ones that are specifically mentioned as not necessarily having that hatred of undeath so I just think it's rather interesting that they did make the choice to add a little complexity to the lore of druids with this class, subclass rather. So it is somewhat odd, the abilities that it gives you. It gives you an additional 
option for your wild shape that instead of turning into a beast shape, you are able to channel magic into spores that are a part of your body, which gives you temporary hit points as well as the ability to do extra poison damage to your own melee weapon attacks. And you also gain an ability called Halo of Spores, where when a creature moves to within 10 feet of you or starts its turn there, you can use your reaction to just deal damage that scales as you grow if they fail a saving throw. So the fact that you can just use your reaction to deal consistent damage to creatures around you is quite powerful. And the fact that that damage does just scale up as you level and to deal extra poison damage with your attacks, deal this necrotic damage with the spores ability, it gives a druid honestly a better action economy in that they are able to use their reaction every single turn to deal damage. While most classes is very limited on what will allow them to use their reaction. So having this ability means that every turn, damage, 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 action, damage, reaction, damage. Good. Now, I mentioned that interesting relationship with undeath because they get a really cool ability. At level six, fungal infestation. Your spores gain the ability to infest a corpse and animate it. If a beast or humanoid that's small or medium dies within 10 feet of you, you can use your reaction to animate it, causing it to stand up immediately with one hit point. Use the zombie stat block. It remains animate for an hour after which it collapses and dies. In combat, the zombie's turn comes right after yours, obeying your mental commands, and it can only use the attack action to make a single attack. And you can use this feature a number of times equal to your wisdom modifier, uh, getting him back with a long rest. So you can just make another creature just stand up as a fucking zombie under your control for an hour. And you can do this a couple of times a day. That's fucking cool. Then once they level up to 10, ooh, gain the ability to seed an area with deadly spores. As a bonus action, uh, while that earlier feature is active, you can hurl spores up to 30 feet away where they swirl in a 10-foot cube for a minute. The spores disappear early if you use the feature again, if you dismiss them as a bonus action, or if uh, you're the feature ends. Uh, whenever a creature moves into the cube or starts its turn there, they take your spore damage unless they succeed on a con saving throw. They can take the damage no more than one a turn. So the fact that, again, potentially very powerful action economy, you can do this as a bonus action. And the fact that you can just have this means your bonus action can be used for this. Your action can be used for your normal attack. Uh, unfortunately, you cannot use that reaction ability while you have this active. But considering that this is an area of effect version, arguably more powerful. Now, the 14th level ability for this is another very interesting one. Fungal body. The fungal spores in your body alter you. You can't be blinded, deafened, frightened, or poisoned. And any critical hit against you counts as a normal hit instead, unless you're incapacitated. Critical hit immunity at level 14? 
as just a passive ability you have, no blindness, deafness, frightened, or poisoned, that's a lot of things. All right, and that's it for the spores. Moving on to the land. So Circle of the Land has you pick a type of land that is just your home turf, for lack of a better word. So you get to pick from Arctic, coast, desert, forest, grassland, mountain, swamp, or the Underdark. And you just get spells that are related to whatever uh, type of land you pick. So besides that, though, you also get an ability called Natural Recovery. At second level, you can regain some of your magic by sitting in meditation. So during a short rest, you can regain spell slots that is equal to or less than half your druid level rounded up, although no slots can be sixth level or higher. And you can't use the feature again until you finished a long rest. So if you have a 10th level druid and then use this ability, they can get five levels of spell slots back. So whether you choose to have that be a single fifth level spell slot, uh, or if you want to have, you know, a second level and three first level spells, having that extra magic back and giving that extra bit of versatility to what magic you want to have available. Well, again, versatility, good thing. Then once they get to level six, then non-magical difficult terrain does not cost them extra movement anymore. So even if there's, you know, thick mud or bushes or brush or whatever, a druid can just stride through it. And they can also just pass through non-magical plants without being slowed and without taking damage from them. So if you have just a bunch of thorns or anything like that that would normally hurt to walk through, that is non-magical, a druid is not hurt by that at all. And in addition to that, they also get advantage on saving throws against plants that are magically created or manipulated to impede movement. And they even give the specific example of the Entangle spell. Now, their 10th level one is one that sounds simple, but is also one likely to be rather underrated by most people. You can't be charmed or frightened by elementals or fey, and you're immune to poison and disease. So the can't be charmed or frightened by elementals or fey, fine. It's the second part that's important. So immune to poison. So that phrasing has a rather specific interpretation in the rules, which is you are immune to all poison damage and the poisoned condition. So at level 10, a druid of the land cannot take any poison damage or be poisoned. So spider bite or just whatever other creatures have poisonous effects do not work on a druid of this type. Ba, ba, ba. And then their last feature at 14, nature's sanctuary. Creatures of the natural world sense your connection to nature and become hesitant to attack you. When a beast or plant creature wants to attack you, they have to make a wisdom saving throw or pick a different target or the attack will automatically miss you. If they do succeed on the save, though, then they are immune to that effect for 24 hours. So if you're fighting some powerful beast and they fail that saving throw, then they just can't hit you. Anyway, Circle of the Moon is probably the most common druid subclass, and for very, very good reason. The entire focus of the circle on the circle of the moon is to increase 
the ability of Wild Shape. So immediately at second level when they get the ability, it boosts your ability to use Wild Shape so that instead of requiring your action to transform, a Druid of the Moon can do it as a bonus action. So as soon as they get this at level two, bonus action, transform, action, attack. And in addition to that, you could also use bonus actions while you're transformed to spend your spell slots to heal yourself, uh, uh, to heal your beast form at the very least, of 1d8 per level of the expended spell. So if you are a you know, reasonably high, a mid-level druid, let's say, so you expend a fourth level spell slot, you could just heal yourself as a bonus action for 4d8 potentially, or more or less, that's a very versatile power. However, there is another second level ability that you get as a moon druid, which is circle forms. The rights of your circle grant you the ability to transform into more dangerous animal forms. Starting at second level, you can use your wild shape to transform into a beast with a challenge rating as high as one. You ignore the max CR column of the beast shapes table, but must abide by the other limitations there. Starting at 6th level, you can transform into a beast with a challenge rating as high as your druid level, divided by 3, rounded down. So, the phrasing of that is somewhat clunky. But to sum up, a standard druid, when they do uh, cast wild shape, are limited in how strong a beast they can turn into. At 2nd level, they can normally only turn into something of... A one-fourth CR, like a wolf. Although once you get up to fourth level, that does upgrade to one-half. Then at eighth level, one. A druid of the moon, on the other hand, can turn into a beast with CR one at level two. So their beast form powers immediately are much, much more powerful. Not to mention that sixth level boost of turning into something with your level divided by three. That means that as you level up, so when you're sixth level, you can turn into something that is CR two when you're, you know, ninth, three, etc. So the fact that you can transform into much stronger beasts, you can turn into things that have so much more hit points than the normal only CR one creatures that every other type of druid can transform into. I did mention that Circle of the Moon is probably the most popular, and honestly, there's real good reason for that. They are powerful, powerful combatants. Uh, Also, at 6th level, they do gain another ability, which is that their beast form attacks count as magical for the purpose of overcoming resistance and immunity to non-magical attacks and damage. So a lot of creatures in the game have resistance to non-magical weapon attacks. So the fact that at only level 6, even if you don't have some form of magic weapon, a druid's beast abilities counting as magical is, again, a very useful thing. Now, another fun one. At level 10, elemental wild shape. So you can expend two uses of wild shape at the same time to turn into an elemental. And you have the choice of air, earth, fire, or water elemental. So listeners of Riftwake will remember a fire elemental fucked us up hard. So the fact that you could turn into such a creature and then just have 
you know, 13 AC, 102 hit points, just kind of added to your own is real powerful. Not to mention, you know, you could do Earth Elemental for the more defensive side. And yeah, all elementals really do have their uses. Anyway, uh, then their last one at uh, level 14, Thousand Forms. You've learned to use magic to alter your form in more subtle ways. You can cast Alter Self at will. So Alter Self is a second level spell that normally lets you transform part of yourself in some way for up to an hour. So the fact that you get a second level spell for free with no spell slot expenditure and good thing. And finally, we're down to the last one. Circle of the Shepherd. I realize we are going long yet again, and I'm sorry about that. I'll try to get better about that, folks. So to just kind of sum up this one a little bit more, Circle of the Shepherd boosts the many abilities that you have to summon creatures. Uh, you also gain the ability to talk with animals. And that one is actually immediately a level two when you get it. That's nifty. But what is particularly powerful is when you have the spell uh, conjure animals, for example, and you can summon, say, you know, eight wolves to help out your party. There are spirits that you gain access to a spirit totem, rather, to boost the abilities of creatures you summon. And there's one here that definitely stands out in my eyes, which is the bear spirit, which gives every creature of your choice in the range of it its temporary hit points equal to five plus your druid level, which would mean if you have a level 10 druid, use conjure animals, then cast the higher level spell slot version. 16 wolves summoned, and all of them have 15 temporary hit points in addition to yourself and all of your party that is fucking powerful it very much will slow down your game but if you want to use that for a narrative moment that would be quite the show uh even besides the temporary hit points though once they get to sixth level then summon beasts and fey are more resilient than normal so the creature appears with two extra hit points per hit die it has. So if, even if you summon something relatively weak with two hit dice, it'll still have four extra hit points just passively, as well as the fact that the boost that a uh, moon druid gets to its beast attacks applies instead to all creatures that a shepherd summons. So all, you know, I'll stick with the wolves example. You summon a bunch of wolves, four extra hit points, 15 temporary hit points, and every single wolf's attacks are considered to be magical as well. And then at 10th level, oh, that's nifty. Uh, every time a creature that you summoned or made with a spell ends its turn in that spirit totem aura, they heal for hit points equal to half your druid level. That's real good. And then at level 14, the last thing... If you're reduced to zero hit points or incapacitated against your will, you can immediately gain the benefits of conjure animals as if it were cast with a ninth level spell slot, summoning four beasts of your choice that are challenge rating two or lower. They appear within 20 feet, and if they receive no commands from you, they protect you and harm your foes. It lasts for an hour requiring no concentration or until you dismiss it without an action. Once you use the feature, you can't until you finish a long rest. So that is particularly interesting. 
So it is only a reactive type effect. So if you're reduced to zero hit points or incapacitated against your will. But what immediately caught my eye about that, the cast is if it's a ninth level spell slot. However, this happens at level 14, three levels before you actually have a ninth level spell slot. Nature intervenes to protect you. That's kind of lovely. All right. So once again, I have ended up rambling on about these far, far more often than I arguably ought to. But druids are a very fun class. And the fact that they have so much flexibility with the spells that they have access to, the beast forms that they can turn into, even if you're not Circle of the Moon, even only using beasts that are uh, one eighth up to one challenge rating, there is a lot of versatility to the class and fun to be had. Thanks for listening to this episode of Riffs and Rules. Please leave us a review and give us five stars on iTunes. Also, support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash podcast. Cheers start as low as a dollar and even that much really helps us out. Supporters get benefits such as behind the scenes content, early access to episodes, access to the Patreon Discord where you'll be able to chat with the cast and even a shout out on the show. Find us on social media, on Twitter at Riffwake Podcast, on Facebook as Riffwake, and on Reddit on the subreddit r slash Riffwake Podcast. And now, send us an email, riffsandrules at gmail.com. That's riffs, A-N-D, rules at gmail.com. Have a good one. Bye. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.